You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I'm here with David Simnick of Soapbox Soaps. David has David and Soapbox have been featured everywhere from the Today Show to NS, MSNBC, Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes. They have a business that started in an American university dorm room, an experiment of sorts. It, it looks like, David, with you there on your uh, your stovetop and your big wooden ladle and uh, stirring those soaps, it, it sounds like you guys have come a, a real long way. So how, how are you doing, David? Uh, we have come a long way. Uh, but we still have a very long way to go, Matt. <laughs> that's hey, that's uh, that's the goal. That's progress. Uh, can you can you describe exactly how far you guys have come? I mean, you got it. Looks like your products are sold in major major retailers across the globe, potentially now at least across the United States. I mean, CVS, Walgreens, is that correct? Well, I wish that I could be. I wish that we could be sold. Uh, across the, the globe, but we're definitely not there yet. We are sold in Target, uh, Walgreens, Rite Aid, Meyer, Kroger, some Kroger banners. Um, we're going to be launching in Safeway, Albertsons uh, in a couple months, uh, Walmart. Um, so we've definitely had a uh, we've definitely had a, a pretty good run, uh, but we still have a long way to go. And the whole reason that we started Soapbox was because of the mission. Um, a lot of times people ask us, did you start a personal care company first and then figure out a clever way to market it? Or was it the mission first and then you figure out how to build a consumer product company? And it definitely was the latter. Uh, we had no idea what we were doing when we got started. Like none. Zip, zero, zilch. <laughs> Just net, no, no clue about how to go to... Uh, battle with you know big big competitors like Procter and Gamble and Unilever and Clorox. So it's been an amazing ride. It, it sounds like it. Can you take me back to the the dorm room to American University to the stovetop and how the heck you decide? How the heck you figured out how to make soap? Yeah, day one. Uh, day one was interesting. Uh, basically. I was working as a subcontractor for the United States Agency for International Development. I wanted to change the way that we were doing a lot of our water sanitation and hygiene work and called up my best friend and said, hey, we're going to start a soap company. He thought I was kidding because who calls someone up saying, hey, let's start a soap company. Um, so he uh, thought I may have been watching too much Fight Club and I was inspired by the movie or uh, you know, whatever it was, uh, it was definitely crazy for some 22 year old, uh, young man, uh, to be calling up another young man saying that they want to enter the personal care world. So with a lot of humility, uh, and very, 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 very small beginnings, I Googled how to make soap, started making it in my kitchen. Uh, and then, uh, from 2010 and 2011, it was a evenings, weekends, uh, basically grind, so we got into a couple of farmers markets. We got in a couple of mom and pop stores, um, shops, boutiques, and then after begging, pleading, calling, emailing, we got into our first retailer, which was Whole Foods, in March of 2012. So we got into one store, uh, and then we demoed 
so much. Like we just went, we were so hype. Every person that walked into that store opening basically had to deal with me trying to convince them to buy all of our products. <laughs> so it, um, it definitely was intense. Uh, and it was just, it was so much fun to see people get so excited about something that we were making by hand uh, that uh, it convinced the, the founding team to go full-time on it. So my co-founder and I uh, quit our daytime jobs, and, and we decided to plunge headfirst into building Soapbox. Excellent, excellent. Well, Whole Foods, that's no small brand. When I said you could be sold all across the globe, you guys certainly have the distribution networks to be able to to do so, or at least the, the right contacts, it sounds like. But I, I'd love for you to back up a little bit and uh, tell me a little bit more about the vision or the need that you guys saw for uh, for making people clean and, and sanitary. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so Soapbox's mission is to donate a bar of soap every time someone buys one of our products. So whether it be one of our sulfate, paraben-free, violate-free shampoos or conditioners, or whether it might be one of our thoughtfully crafted body washes, liquid hand soaps, bar soaps, you know, whatever it might be, any of the products, any of the time, when they're bought, we donate a bar. And we work in local homeless shelters and food pantries all across the United States. And the reason we focus domestically is because, uh, from my experience, poverty doesn't know any boundary. It doesn't know borders. It doesn't know any background uh, in terms of, you know, how that person has has gotten to where they are. Um and that's really sad and, and, and unfortunate. Uh, and the homeless shelters and food pantries, uh, one of the most requested items is actually hygiene products. And the reason being is from a food pantry perspective, uh, food stamps often do not cover hygiene products. Uh, and then the second thing is when you're looking at uh, the need for different types of donations, uh, homeless shelters' most requested items usually are underwear, socks, and soap. And the reason being is because of the frequency of those products being needed, especially if they're running a shower program, uh, but then also how little of those products are actually donated. You know, people don't donate their used underwear or socks. People don't donate you know, uh, enough soap in order to keep up with the different hygiene programs that are usually being run at homeless shelters. So we are incredibly excited uh, to be partnering up with so many different domestic partners across the United States. And then abroad, we work uh, with a variety of different NGOs in 65 different countries. And how we do one-for-one -one is a little bit different uh, from other one-for-one -one companies because when we work abroad, we don't ship soap from the United States. Uh, so what that means is, let's say, Matt, you're a soap maker in northern India. The last thing that you want is me popping out of a shipping container with like 40,000 bars of soap. And if I did that, then I flood your market. Uh, and most importantly, I teach everyone in the community to wait till someone like me shows up and gives it to them for free. So we turn that on its head a little bit by actually working with that local NGO, vetting them, making sure they are who they say they are, and then funding them so that they can buy from you, the local soap maker. That's great. That's a, that's excellent. I, I'm really happy to hear the way that you approach that. Uh, and I'm really excited that you're fulfilling a, a true need and sometimes one to one, uh, one to one, uh, what do you call it? Methodology or one to one companies, right? They look at this, uh, 
the way that they can go about entering into a area of the world that they know very little about and as you said pop out of a shipping container and and flood the market um but you know that's that's really great that you've gone uh this way about it but could you could you tell me a little bit more about uh, just domestically because of course a lot of our listeners are used to me talking about international travel as under 30 experiences as a, a travel company for young people uh but there's so much still to see and do within our borders and there's so many people who need soap i mean there that who need any types of help uh but those facts that you laid out about the underwear the socks and the soap it obviously makes sense if i'm going to donate to a food pantry or to a food drive or to whomever yeah i'm probably going to keep my soap and use it myself i don't have old soap that i'm going to donate right well you might have and this is just me being like super objective sure, you please. might have some small samples from a hotel that you recently stayed at sure um and that's what you donate but um even that amount of donate like even those amount of donations don't keep up usually with the needs of what a you know a, a functioning uh hygiene program in a uh in a homeless shelter looks like no that that makes a lot of sense i actually wanted to talk to you Uh David a little bit about your program that you have with hotels where you'll collect soap bar uh remnants you know you, you don't if you're a hotel you don't reuse soap you probably just throw it out but you have a recycling program where this is collected and maybe melted down in some way or donated uh somewhere could you talk about this program that's something that uh, is really interesting to me Yeah so We work with a variety of different partners uh, both here domestically and around the world. We work with Clean the World, Sundara, EcoSoap Bank, uh and a bunch of other partners that have this idea um that we should not be throwing away valuable hygiene products in landfills. Uh and especially something like soap, actually when you steam soap it cleans itself, which would make sense because when you're using soap in the shower or any type of water is coming in contact with like that type of surfactant it's cleaning itself sure uh that's actually you know for your listeners that are interested in this the way soap works is it's like a it's like when you put oil into water uh how they both separate um it's the same way that soap works so uh when soap goes in contact with water uh it actually uh is picking up all of the particulates uh, on the top layer of your skin uh and basically that's what is able to be washed off um so almost like oil and water separating uh that type of like miniature vacuum action is happening when the bubbles are being created and then washing off your skin and with that being said there's all different types of qualities of soap you know like that basic vacuum action can be done and it can strip your skin full of the nutrients it needs to be moisturized and to feel good uh and and to make sure that you're replenishing your skin uh you know through this process of cleansing uh and there's just bad soap uh so um you know not to not to be too crazy about soap but it's definitely something I'm very passionate about um any type of surfactant uh should be as natural as possible but yet still effective and i think that's where uh you, you know the way that we've make our products is we're incredibly thoughtful 
uh, about trying to have something that is naturally derived and thoughtfully crafted with select ingredients, but yet at the same time uh, does does the work that you need to do. You want a shampoo that uh, purifies, cleanses, or moisturizes, and, and you want a conditioner that's able to uh, restore and balance uh, with protein and a moisturizing agent that allows your hair to be uh, either thick, full, moisturized, or repaired. And and I think you know the same way, the same thoughtfulness that we've put into our aid missions, the same thoughtfulness that we want to put into crafting the products that we make. Um, so to go all the way back, uh, Eco Soap Bank, um, Sundara, uh, Clean the World, they're just fantastic partners that. Uh, do so much great work in terms of recycling and then getting that soap out through a variety of different hygiene ambassadors. What Sundara does in Mumbai, what they do in Cambodia, what they do in Uganda is truly amazing work. I mean, we're talking paying women uh, as hygiene ambassadors three or four times, three or four times what they would be making uh, in another median like salary job. Uh, and uh, the empowerment that we're seeing in terms of health and the results that we're seeing in terms of increased school attendance because children and students are not having as many sick days and the introduction of after defecation and before food prep, uh, the use of soap and, and the results that it can have are just outstanding. And to, to go one more thing, there's a reason why public health campaigns when Ebola broke out in West Africa that the first thing that they implemented was wash your hands. And the reason that is, is when you're looking at waterborne illnesses, like washing your hands with soap and water is the first, first and far, like one of the most effective ways to stop any type of mass spread. So for us, it just makes so much sense to have this mission at our core and trying to make the world a, a cleaner and better place. Sure, that, that makes a lot of sense. We'll have to talk to you offline about how we could potentially help you through under 30 experiences or at least use some of uh, this knowledge that I'm now gaining about the importance of soap to be able to uh, maybe collect some of the bars or encourage uh, our travelers to donate soap uh, or perhaps work with the hotels uh, who are usually pretty eco-friendly to begin with and see if we can start some type of a recycling program for them. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited uh, about that. And and David, uh, of course, we can talk about that after. Um, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about natural versus organic. And for the listeners out there, well, they, they probably already know uh, that for me personally, if I'm in a hurry and I need a new product, I'm going to admittedly blindly look for the organic product and buy that and, and be done with it basically. Uh, but that's actually not uh, perhaps the most informed buying decision. That's the quick, like, is this organic? Yes or no? Okay. Of course I'm going to buy the organic. Uh, and that's, our educated audience is probably smart enough to know that the word natural uh, in a lot of different places, especially from 
companies who are not as thoughtful as you guys can pretty much just be bullshit. Uh, so could you talk a little bit more about how you guys uh, derive your products um, and how that they are, how they're not harmful to the human body? Because it's, it's a very important uh, thing to distinguish upon. And even uh, you or, or even I could go into a little bit about how Organic is often just slapping an expensive label on a farm and many small time farmers can't afford to uh, be certified organic. So I'd love if you could address that real quickly. Yeah. So uh, just so that, you know, your audience is clear, we are not an organic product uh, and uh, trying to get an organic cert as a personal care product is incredibly difficult because the organic standards were originally written and have not been updated for food. So there is still a debate happening within the personal care industry about uh, what is considered natural and what is not. And as you stated, anyone can slap natural on anything because this is an unregulated word. Now, there is and there are a bunch of lawsuits about what does it mean to be natural. Um, so any entrepreneurs who are listening to this podcast that want to put natural on their products or 100% natural or made with only natural ingredients, like be, be warned that you will or can get sued, uh, depending on how successful, you know, your brand is. And I would say that, uh, just like having USDA certified organic sticker on there, like there is a, it's a regulated word. Uh, you can get fined uh, an exorbitant amount of money uh, by the USDA uh, if you are if you are not within the standards of of what needs to be happen. And you also need to have a certifying agency actually say that you're organic. Now, specifically with personal care, um, because water, uh, which is a main ingredient of any personal care product, uh, is uh, the majority uh, or a very significant ingredient. Um, and because water cannot be a certified organic ingredient, there's not a lot of personal care products. Uh, actually I can only think of like two brands, um, that, uh, that are certified organic. Now how they get around that is they actually, um, press the water through tea leaf juice. So technically wow. because, yeah, because it is, is pressed through tea leaves, they can say that this now is a different product than water and the tea leaves are organic. Therefore that is organic. So I think when it comes to like whether something is organic or not, um, in personal care, it's really difficult, uh, just because the original, uh, the original guidelines have not been updated to include what, what is and what is not natural or organic in the personal care world. So taking a step further, I think that there are certain, ingredients that are absolute no-nos in personal care. I don't think EDTA uh, should be in, in any products. I just don't, I don't understand the reason why it needs to be in there, um, especially because there are cheaper alternatives that are safer. Uh, parabens and phylates and, and having, you know, to be used as a stabilizer in one's product, um, the very big companies out there, uh, like, you know, the the Fortune 500 companies that uh, still make their products in there, uh, they believe that they're, they're good preservatives or they believe that they're stable chemicals. 
uh, that's just something that we don't agree with, uh, and, and we don't want to. Uh, we don't want to. We don't want to put those uh, ingredients that um, there's data showing that there are traces to carcinogens um, in that, and we don't. And we don't want to be a part of that. Uh, the other aspect is it costs more to make a better product and to put more thoughtful and selective ingredients in there. So we put a ton of shea butter uh, that's sustainably sourced from West Africa in our products, and that costs money. But we also get a ton of reviews from people saying that after they use our liquid hand soap, uh, which is better than other, you know, quote-unquote, like natural products in the same space, uh, that they don't have to lotion their hands afterwards that they don't get cracked hands. And there's a reason why, right? You can, you can have a more moisturizing soap. Uh, and the, you know, the, at the end of the day, it just costs more to make it. And we believe that we should make a better product and an affordable price for our consumers. So I'll, I'll say all of this. It is difficult to try to read what is and what is not either natural uh, in, in, or, or it is difficult to actually take organic seriously, in my opinion, when you're looking at liquids in personal care i'll say i'll say one more thing on that. sure i think for us soapbox is always straddling uh something that works and using natural ingredients because we've all had that super you know natural or organic product that has a perfect label and it's fantastic and then you try it and it just doesn't work or it tastes awful or you know, whatever it is. So we've tried to make a product that's affordable with the best ingredients and still has just amazing efficacy. No, that, that's great. And I'm certainly that guy who will buy that product and hope that, okay, yeah, it's, this is going to be great for me. Okay, let me buy this and then realize it does not work. Actually, you'd be the perfect person to ask about these and I'm not sure that they work. I bought these things called eco nuts and they are it's a laundry soap and i was again in a hurry and i was like uh organic laundry soap okay let me buy this and it came and they were nuts harvested harvested from i don't know india somewhere near the himalayas and you literally they look like little raspberries but they're hard and dried out nuts and you put them in their own little bag and you put like five of these things in your own bag and you put them in the washing machine with your clothes and I was like I just don't they it, it, they don't even sud I don't think what did somebody pull the wool over my eyes on that one? was I too much in a hurry when I bought those eco nuts do you know these products so uh, technically uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking them up right now I've seen them at different trade shows um, I think so never, I think I bought them from Whole Foods. I, I've never used them, so I, I, de I definitely don't want to. I don't want to claim that I that I know what I'm talking about because I've never had a direct use of it. But I do think, I think, I think that there are very good intentioned brands out there that want to move uh, consumers into like, a certain space that is better for you and better for the world. And uh, sometimes products are just too early. Uh, the consumers are not there yet, um, and sometimes uh, they, you know, they hit it just at the right time, and it's like lightning in a bottle. Um, so I think it all depends. Um, it just all depends. Sure, it, and sometimes it, they don't work. I don't know if this stuff worked. Yeah, but but yeah, you know, just 
I like to I like to always just be like super transparent. Um, I've never used uh, you know, eco nuts. Um, it seems like uh, what they're trying to do is really cool. So sure, sure. No, I'm not trying to bash them, but uh, it was one of those products where I just saw. I just got them, and I don't know if this. It was not what I expected. I expected some type of soap, and because there's a soap guy, I thought that I would ask. Uh, but yes, mo- moving on, actually, one more quick rabbit hole, and I don't know if you agree with me on or not on this, but why can't water be organic? You know, that's the city of whatever, pick your city, is going to fluorinate, uh, flu- put chlorine and fluoride in it and put chemicals in your water to quote unquote clean it up where you can go to a natural spring and yeah i guess i guess if it was on a on an organic farm that could be pretty organic water to me why can't water be organic do you know that do you know the answer to this i i don't uh i would say so i think the usda guidelines really were meant for food um when they were written a couple decades ago and it just has not been updated sure um but but what is interesting is that like so it, it depends what your listeners, like it really depends what, what you're looking for. Like there are, uh, there are ingredient standards that Whole Foods has put out and that uh, PCC has put out and that Environmental Working Group has put out um, that you know, are going to force up the price of a product to uh, something that is higher than our products. Um, our products, we draw a red line and we say like, these are parabens, phylates, uh, EDTA, uh, silicones, petrochemicals. Uh, there's just certain things that we don't believe should be in personal care, but we also want to be really affordable. So at Target, uh, we'll be at price points with our liquid hands open bar soap at $3.99. Our body wash, shampoo, conditioner will be at $5.99. Uh, and we really want to be accessible because we believe that this mission should not just be uh, available to those who can afford it. There are products that some would argue are, um, you know, more natural or, or actually have, you know, press uh, their water through tea leaves and then can be and have an organic certification. But we just don't think the efficacy is that great of those products. So you're you're in this. You're in this interesting uh, back and forth of, do you want something that's going to help you get clean, uh, but yet do you want something that uh, doesn't have these toxins in there? And I think that's a brand-by-brand decision. Uh, For us, we wanted to be at a certain price point to allow people to come into the mission and and have a fantastic product and have a fantastic experience that moisturizes their skin or, or cleans their hair and um, you know, gets gets them to a state where they want to be at in terms of their beauty regimen. Uh, but at the same time, we we also wanted to uh, stay away from toxins and carcinogens that we just felt like shouldn't be shouldn't be in any product. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's such an interesting it's such an interesting conversation, right? Like there's so many different things that uh, go into thoughtfully selecting where your brand's going to be and where it's going to be positioned. And I think for Soapbox, like we chose a really difficult spot because uh, we're a little more expensive than like your soft soaps of the world, but we're far cheaper than, you know, stuff that you buy at Whole Foods. 
Right, right. No, that, that makes sense. And uh, I do appreciate that mission to be able to give soap uh, to people or to sell soap rather to people at an affordable price that is non-carcinogenic and, and that type of thing. Especially, it, it sounds a little twisted, but especially if you're going to be giving this stuff away, it better not be helpful. It's one thing if you sell somebody something and it was their decision to go and make it, but if you had some crappy soap with a bunch of chemicals in it that were giving people cancer and you said, oh, we're going to be this great company and uh, <laughs> give it away at homeless shelters and you know, we're contributing to the toxic load of, of the homeless, uh, that'd probably not be the best thing. So um, anyway, David, I could talk about organics and uh, and that for, for, for the whole hour, let's just say. But uh, I, I do want to make sure that we get back to your entrepreneurial story. So you went from a dorm room to Whole Foods and quitting your full-time job. Could you tell me a little bit? Yeah, I, I can imagine hustling and going to your uh, your neighborhood general store. I actually don't know where you're from or if you had a general store like like you were from Vermont or something. But uh, how did you, really more importantly, how did you uh, break from the little tiny mom and pop retailers to getting into a place like Whole Foods, you said you just called and emailed and banged down the door. Uh, yeah, tell tell me a little bit about that. So a, a lot of it, a lot of it goes into. Oh boy! <laughs> oh man! So a lot of it was just a hustle. It was just pure. Don't give up. Keep calling. Show up unannounced. Uh, be the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. Uh, and after we got into that one location, we sold so well that we moved to eight, and then eight went to a whole region, and then we kept on growing in the natural channel, and then we realized that we were actually losing money in the natural channel uh, because there were so many uh, additional costs and distributors and you know people just that were uh, really eating away at our margins. So we decided that we were going to go after a, the more conventional, more mass market. So we uh, went and presented the target. We got a test in 2014. Thankfully, that went so well operationally that we got expanded in 2015. Uh, so then we used that as a beachhead and just kept on growing and building the brand. And I, you know, we we still have a long, long way to go. Like we, we know everyone a part of our team knows that we have a long way to go, but, uh, we actually, uh, were approached by a, uh, smaller strategic, uh, that wanted to acquire the brand, uh, earlier this summer. And we had the option to potentially go through with that sale. Um, but we were launching this new look for our brand, uh, because the previous look was designed by a very good partner, but I think it was under, um, some bad direction and that direction was coming from my co-founder and I, and we just we really didn't know how to capture the thoughtfulness that we have put into this brand. So we worked with uh, a different agency and we tested every assumption that we had. We, you know, we threw basically, uh, we threw out every sacred cow that we thought we knew and we just really listened to the consumer. And thankfully we launched the new branding. The new branding has, had a spectacular performance in the market so far, and we're incredibly excited about these next phases of, of the company. 
so to surmise, uh, we basically started in the natural channel. We evolved and got to a point where we could cross to the conventional channel. And now we're sold in over 50,000 points of distribution throughout the United States. And uh, we're very excited about an announcement that we have next week, uh, as well as a couple other major strategic partners that are announcing uh, over the next couple of months. So just incredibly excited. Um, and I would say that for any of your listeners that, that want to be an entrepreneur, it's definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You got to be in it for the long haul. And uh, I think you, you have to, you got to know when to run and know when you got to go and, and, and get something done and, and pull the all-nighter. And you also know when to pace yourself because uh, you can't, you as the leader, you can't burn out. Uh, you need to just continue to push forward. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm glad that you you put in that um, that last little bit there, and and we can get back to that. Uh, but David, to to really uh, continue down your entrepreneurial journey uh, again, going from uh, from the storm room to a handful of retailers to more big box stores. Uh, you had to raise financing. And so a lot of people out there are wondering, well, where, where is my friend's family and fool's money going to come from? And, uh, you know, then where does it come from after that when you realize, oh man, I got a big order. How do I, how do I produce this stuff? Uh, you know, who can, who do you go and, and show that purchase order to and uh, say, hey, look, if only I had the money to produce this, I could actually get this into all these stores. Uh, so could you tell me a little bit about your journey financing Soapbox? Man, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I would say that a lot of this comes down to believing, believing in your product so much that you can actually go out there and have have some market validation before you go and raise any money. I, I would say that like a lot of early entrepreneurs believe that they have to go out and raise money immediately. You don't. Find a way to test your assumption and make sure that you actually have a minimal viable product that has been proven out before you go and ask other people to invest in your idea. That's, that's the, the, the most concrete, short advice I can give to anyone who is thinking about being an entrepreneur. Prove that there is a market for your service or product before you go and raise money. I think that's, of course, great advice. You don't want to just roll up uh, back on, on spring break to your parents <laughs> and tell them, hey, you know, I've really had a uh, change of thought. I think I'm going to drop out after this semester and I'm going to start a soap company. And by the way, I need a hundred grand. Uh, most parents might fall out of their, their chair if it was Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving dinner. So, okay. So you, you go out and you prove that you can make some pretty darn good soap. Uh, maybe a gift to all your friends and, and family. You start to show that, hey, this is a, a viable little business. Uh, maybe you got QuickBooks or a free version and you start to have a, a little bit of revenue. You raise some seed money 
And then where do you go? You have a real business. You can maybe get through a year of operating costs, but now you really have to start producing product. I mean, if you're going to be in Walmart, Walmart's going to look at you and say, all right, are we going to crush this little company if we put in one big order? Uh, is this going to fall? Is this company going to fall flat on its face? So how did you navigate those times? Mm. You know, uh, it's, I think that being an entrepreneur is having glorious highs and really low lows. Uh, it's a nonstop roller coaster. And when it comes to, you know, how did Soapbox do it? We have a phenomenal group of people around us supporting us in our mission. Um, so we have some family offices that uh, thankfully are blessed to have the resources to invest in us and invest in our mission. And we are incredibly thankful for them. Uh, when it comes to the early days of Soapbox, we had a full region of Whole Foods ordering our products on a consistent basis before we got our first investors. And what I would what I would say to any listener is that like you can be lean and you can be mean and don't go full time on your baby, your startup, until you've actually proven that there's a market for it and you have some traction. Because investors, just like anyone, you know, wants to make sure that what they're putting money in, uh, whether you know she or he uh, before they write that check that they know that this has some viability to it. And you as well as the entrepreneur should make sure that before you put your reputation and time and, you know, that, that this actually is got some leg to it. And I think the other thing is that like a lot of people get this idea that they just can't fail and that they have to persevere. And there's a time and a place for that. Like soapbox is time and place to persevere was when we turned down the acquisition offer because we believe that the new branding would do that much better. And thankfully, early indicators show that it is doing that much better. Like, it is significantly better. And, like, the time to put your head down and work those long hours and stay late and come early is now for us and, and has been for quite some time. But there are also times where, like, it, you, it's okay to say, hey, we failed and we have to pivot or we have to... We have to and if you're in the early days, you could say, hey, we've tried this idea and it just doesn't seem like there are people who really want this service or market to exist or product to be in the market. And that's fine. It's, it's far better to fail fast and not to waste other people's money or your time or your money on, on launching something that the marketplace just won't accept. Can you talk to me about a, a failure that you might have had, David? Huh. <laughs> Matt, how much time you got? <laughs> we got about uh, yeah, 15 more minutes or so, as long as you do. Oh, my gosh. Failures. There are many. There's so many. Tell, um, me, tell me a so big one. Oh, so we'll specifically hone in on the mission. Uh, missions matter. Uh, missions allow for a brand to have a soul and for them to be authentic. Um, you know, like under 30 and its mission, uh, it shows that you're good people and it builds a certain level of trust. Uh, but first and foremost, product. If you're selling a product, if you're selling a service, look, you guys offer amazing curated trips uh, that are different from other travel companies, both because of the age of which you serve clientele, but also the experiences and the curation that you are building memories for a lifetime for the people who come on these trips with you guys. 
and it is product. It is product first. It is those experiences. It is the type of things that they're doing. It is what are they going to be walking away from this trip with that they're going to tell their other friends and family and write an amazing review about you guys. Like it's product. The fact that you do good is a cherry on top. So with us, we got that wrong. We started Soapbox first and foremost because of the mission, because we wanted to hopefully save lives. Like that's why we started Soapbox. And we confused the importance of the mission with what we felt like the consumer would care about the most. We put the mission as the first and foremost thing if you saw our products on a shelf. You would understand that we were a brand that had a mission. But that consumer would not understand the thoughtfulness or the natural, you know, or uh, or the natural origin of our ingredients. Like they just wouldn't get it. And the problem is, is that when you have multiple different things going on with the brand, you have to be very thoughtful about the hierarchy in which you're communicating that to your end consumer. And we messed up the hierarchy. We put mission first, product second. The product was always great. The problem is, is that we were shouting the mission to them first. And unfortunately, that's not how our consumer shops. She or he wants an amazing product that specifically is solving a problem in that particular category. So if it's liquid hand soap, it's about the fragrance bloom and how it feels in your hands as you're washing your hands in, in your sink. It's also how the bottle looks so that it matches the different decor in the bathroom or the kitchen. It also comes down to what that product says about that person's bathroom or that person's lifestyle. Like all those things matter. And then the mission comes in. If it's body wash, there's one word, moisture. Moisture, 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 moisture. You have to take care of that consumer's skin. What is it about that body wash that makes it different from other products in the set? Will it moisturize her or his skin better than any other product? And when it comes to you know bar soap, it's really similar to body wash. And then when it comes to hair care, it's also incredibly different than the other product categories I talked about. It comes down to, it is a need state. So what, what problems is she or he having with their hair? Is it that uh, she needs moisture because it's the winter season and her hair is dry and brittle? It does she need a good purifying shampoo because she's got a lot of product in her hair and she needs to wash that out? Like, what is the state that her hair is in, and how are you helping her get to the end state that she wants to be in? So the, the problem that we had, Matt, is we, we took the mission, and we thought it was the most important thing. And where in our hearts it was, uh, it was not the most important thing to the consumer. Because consumers can donate to charity. They probably already do. They just don't want the centerpiece of the reason why they were going to buy a personal care product to be the fact that it gives back to charity. That's not the reason they're shopping that category at that moment. So what I would say to any entrepreneur out there is genuinely solve your consumer's problem. Don't try to solve the problem that you wish your consumer cared about. Wow. That is, uh, honestly, David, that's very reaffirming. And thank you for digging in there for a moment about under 30 experiences because I know, right? This is something that I struggle with, which they did not. No, I I, (laughs) will. I I struggle with this personally because I, and I think a lot of our team does as well, because we look at the state of the world 
And as people who want to do good in this world, we often say we wish we were doing more. And we look around, and you know, I, I have such a focus in my life and uh, in in a mission, right, on personal development, and that's that's personal develop developing myself personally, but also helping other people along their journey. And this is why I I do this podcast, and uh, this is why we have a focus in our in our community at Under Thirty Experiences with. Hey, look, uh, it's not about what you do on your trip is what we say, of course, after or on the closing dinner. It's how what you learn on this, uh, on this international travel and where you go after, you know. And so we, we talk about the impact that travel makes on people quite a bit and we decide, you know, and then we support them after. And it really has nothing to do with our products. Uh, our, our mission and our product aren't exactly aligned, you know, it, it aligned in the way of we don't, we're not selling a personal development course or we're not selling a, hey, come to uh, Nicaragua and volunteer. No, we're, we're telling people, hey, come and have an awesome time and a byproduct of what you get, which is a really amazing experience, is that you'll start to think about the world a little bit differently through this amazing experience. And uh, hey, by the way, you'll have a community of people that will support you in making the changes to your life that maybe hit you while you are on this trip. And you'll be around other people who are very uh, like-minded and looking to have more out of life. And so not to just go and, and pitch like crazy for what we do with Under 30 Experiences, but often we say, oh, you know, I really just wish that uh, we had much more language on our website about all the good that we do in the world, all the local communities that we impact. And uh, yeah, it, it is reaffirming um, that our brand promise at its, co at its core is to have and show people an amazing time that they will never forget because that's what they're looking for. They're not looking to take their five days off that they get a year and go dig ditches somewhere. But if we messed with our product and we changed it and we made that a tremendous focus of every hour of the trip, then that might screw with our, what we call our under 30 magic a little bit. So anyway, I know that was a, a bit of a, a rant, but it was, that was very much a, an epiphany uh, or a reinforcement uh, for me. So thank you for that, David. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think I think what it boils down to is like, for us, we did a gigantic rebrand, and we had to realize that as much as we love the baby, the former baby was ugly. We had branding that just was not exciting for a consumer from an aesthetic point of view, and we just had to we had to own the fact that if we really wanted to make a difference in this world in terms of uh, you know, donating the next couple million bars of soap and then hopefully, you know, escalating that to where it's now at the pace of, you know, or it could be at tens of millions or maybe even hundreds of millions every year like that. We had, we had to get our product right. We had to make it look, uh, and reflect the quality of the product inside. So all that being said, you know, like it is, uh, it is a humbling journey being an entrepreneur because it means you have to consistently be listening to the consumer about how you how you're wrong and how you could be better. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And if you start thinking that you know more than them, or that you should build something, and they, you know, build it and they will come, you can get into some really big issues. Unless you're saying, "No, what do you guys want? Oh, you want to go here? You want to go there?、Uh, you want to do this? You want to do that?" And that's what I hear when I talk to the customers. I don't, I don't hear, "Hey, you know, really, I wish we could." Pick up more garbage at the beach. Yes, we will. We will point out. Hey, guys, here we're in Bali, Indonesia, and、uh, one of the huge issues here in Southeast Asia is that the trade winds will come in、uh, from different ports、uh, across Asia and blow in massive amounts of garbage up onto the beach. If you guys don't mind, we brought some plastic bags. Pick up a couple pieces as we walk here to our next destination, and、uh, you'll probably feel good about it. Try to do it with a smile on your face, and then they might go home and pick up a few more pieces of garbage, or、uh, be able to feel pretty good about themselves. And so, anyway, yeah, that's.、Uh, I'm very glad that、uh, that you shared that with me. I'm gonna go go ahead and, and share that with my team as well,、um, David. I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, one of the last questions before we wrap wrap up here, you had、uh, a TED talk called "Great Leaders Need Authenticity," and I was wondering if you could share with our listeners today what exactly you meant by that. Oh man!、Um, and now I know we could just replay the twenty minute TED talk. I know, no, but no, 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 it's just funny because, like, it's funny. I did that. I'm a very、uh, self-critical person,、uh, so I wish I would have done that TED talk different in about 18 different ways.、Uh, <laughs> but now that we're here,、uh, so so what I would the, the point I was trying to get across in that TED talk is authenticity. People, consumers can sniff out authenticity and. That isn't always the way that we think it is. I use the example of Spirit Airlines. Spirit Airlines has the the bare fare,、uh, and the whole idea is that you're going to pay practically nothing to fly, but you're not going to like it. Like, like right, but it's like, going to suck. Yeah, but they they go they go right up to the edge of basically saying like, if you're going to get water, maybe. Right, but that's it. That's it. You're gonna have to pay for bags. You're gonna have to pay for everything else. We're gonna get to there on one piece, but it's not gonna be a fun trip. Now they don't go. They don't go that far to say that, but you pretty much can read between the lines that like this is cheap. You you want the number one reason why you know Spirit is one of the fastest growing airlines in the whole industry in America? It's because they lead with an incredible, compelling proposition to the consumer, and that is. People can't afford air travel all the time, and they make it cheap. So that is authentic. They are authentic with themselves. They are authentic. They're、uh, Ryanair, which is basically the inspiration for Spirit Air,、uh, starts in, in Europe. And、uh, the CEO of Ryanair has said numerous different times that he's like, passengers will not enjoy this trip. So from the top of you know from the top founder CEO all the way down. To the person who might not be smiling at you as they check you in, like it is an authentic brand, because their lead proposition is this is going to be the cheapest way to fly. So another way is that authenticity、uh, when it comes to having a mission like ours, 
Um, a great example is uh, Tom Shoes had a bunch of uh, other companies try to come in and replicate their model after they really started expanding in the industry. And all of their competitors in the United States failed. And the reason they failed so so badly is because it was so inauthentic in what they were trying to do. When you have a mission that resonates with the consumer and when another competitor tries to come and rip off that mission, it just backfires in that competitor's face. Because missions are, and, and brands that have missions are, are both responsible for being great stewards of that mission, but that mission can also be a, a incredible competitive advantage against other competitors. So I designed, like I, I, I drew out this whole thing called the authentic arrow. Uh, I'm, I'm guaranteed that a majority of your listeners probably have heard Simon Sinek's talk, uh, about the why and about how why basically drives consumers engaging with certain brands they don't buy Apple products because of you know their great technology. They buy Apple products because they get to the why of why you want to buy it. Like it's 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 all in how you market and message. And uh, Simon Sinek does a much better job of of communicating this. But essentially, the premise of his talk was uh, consumers don't buy the how or the what; they buy the why. So what I said is that the why can only exist if you actually have authenticity to back it up. And that's pretty much that. I, I hope I surmise that is uh, you've actually watched that talk uh, probably more recently than I do because I'm just trying to block it out of my mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no, no worries. I, I, I popped that one on you, huh? <laughs> no, it's all good. <laughs> oh Look, well. Uh, I think I think here's the thing, right? Like uh, I get to do what I love every day, and if I were to say anything to any of your listeners that have stuck with this all the way to this point it is, uh, and this is so cliche, but do what you love. Like find what it is that you love doing and then have that be your career, have that be the way that you actually can make money. And the reason being is if you do what you love, it's not work. And if you, if you're loving what you're doing, then you're going to put more effort into it to make sure that it succeeds. And it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard in order to do so. But like really, Find what you love to do and then just like work towards that. Build that. That's great. That, that is excellent. Uh, I will ask you a couple rapid fire questions, although that would have been a great place to end. But I do want to uh, squeeze a couple quick things out of, you, uh, out of you here. You can answer in 30 seconds or less. Or uh, yes, maybe it's the first thing that comes to your mind. You can just say that. Uh, I'd love to ask you. Tom shoes and they're one for one model. Are you, are you a fan? Yes or no, and why? Uh, I think Tom shoes. Look, I think Blake and their team was fantastic, and I think that uh, they definitely popularized the idea that social missions and great business can go hand in hand. Um, I think that uh, the one for one model that they had was hurtful towards local cobblers and uh, they definitely corrected that and they they went out and uh, one of the most recent talks that uh, Blake gave was their number one focus is not how many sh shoes they give away it's how many of those shoes are actually made from local makers uh, so I think they saw 
the blowback that they were creating in the marketplaces that they served, uh, and they fixed it. Uh, so I think I think I got to commend them for being humble enough to realize where uh, they were creating more harm than good. Uh, but I also think that uh, they also were one of the biggest movers in the industry to create this type of uh, validation that missions and business uh, can operate in a for-profit model. So, uh, you know, can everyone be better? Of course. But I don't think we should discredit the amazing work that they have done and continue to do. Great. Uh, how about a book suggestion for our listeners? Oof, which one do you want? Anyone? First one that comes to mind. The best one. Hmm. So, if for fiction, well, it's actually not fiction. It's based on a true story. I love Shantaram. Okay. Um, Shantaram's a, a, a great, great book. Um, and when it comes to... When it comes to a business book that's totally worth reading, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> as old school as this is, uh, How to Like Win Friends and Influence People is still an awesome book. That's like yeah, Dale I, Carnegie. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. But I think I think it's also interesting because like the advice was definitely focused for like a different time, right? To surmise the whole book, it's basically like, hey. Uh, don't be mean to people and be tactful and be a manager that uh, works to have people uh, that you inspire uh, that they believe that it's their idea or as much of their idea and there's joint ownership. But you know what was true when this book came out almost a century ago is still true today. You know, you know it's, it's the same thing. Ab like, absolutely. I had a friend so. th literally this weekend Went to see him in Los Angeles. His name is Ray Land, and he he was he was reading the book. I mean, he's read it probably a hundred times. He had it all folded over and bookmarked. And uh, Dale Dale Carnegie was his guy. And also on your your fiction book, I had a friend who who gave me the book, and uh, it's still still sitting on my shelf. She said. Don't pick this book up because it will ruin your life, meaning that I would never put it down. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm waiting for a, for a good empty weekend where I could just get addicted to it. Uh, and David, the last thing I wanted to ask, you mentioned that as an entrepreneur, it's very easy to go through the ups and downs as a roller coaster and if you sprint too fast, you're gonna get a you're going to hit a wall if you're not pacing yourself uh, like you're running a marathon. So, can you give our listeners a little bit of uh, information on how you can avoid burnout? Surround yourself uh, in a group of other entrepreneurs. Everyone, everyone's going through the struggle. Great. Great. Uh, I don't think it gets any more simple than that. I, I, I like. I could totally try to add some more words to it, but like when it really boils down to it, like it, honestly, just surround yourself with a bunch of people that are going through the same struggles. Iron shapes iron. Beautiful. Just like people shape people. Beautiful, and and do what you love. You already you you already drop that on people. David. Like a soapbox. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Hey, this has been your one hour soapbox. Uh, this is, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, the first time I've ever heard that. I promise. I, I know. Uh, I know.
This is great. No, I, I really appreciate this, Matt. Thank you for, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to be a part of this audience and, and just so uh, glad to be sharing our mission. Uh, we still have a long way to go, but we make, and we make amazing products. We really do. And I hope that your, your listeners get to check us out. Um, uh, if anyone wants to uh, use a discount code, uh, basically there is a, a 20% off discount code, which I would like to give to your your listeners, if Excellent. they're ready. Yeah, take it away, please. Awesome. All right. So it is, if you guys basically do take 20, uh, so T-A-K-E-T, or two zero, uh, then I'll get you 20% off your first order. Great. And what's the website where they can find that? Oh, soapboxhopes.com. Perfect. You just go on Google and you type in soapbox soaps, you'll find this. Awesome. David, well, hey, I really appreciate your time, and uh, this has been a blast. Uh, it has been a, a fantastic, fantastic trip with you. Really enjoyed it. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that past episode. If you are looking to put these things into practice, I invite you to come next July to... Peru and Machu Picchu with me and my girlfriend, Luz Garcia, a 1,500-hour registered yoga teacher for an amazing retreat that we are putting on. Uh, if you would like more information, check out under30experiences.com and find yoga and Peru. We would love to connect with you further. We have some amazing community events coming up on under30experiences.com. And no, uh, you don't just have to be under 30 years of age. We are an inclusive community rather than an exclusive community. And finally, if you are on the same mission as I am, I would love if you shared this episode with a friend, a friend who needs it, if you can support uh, this podcast, that would mean a whole lot to me. Share it, subscribe, leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I would love if you even did it just a little justice and give it a like on our new YouTube channel. Those type of things go a long way uh, in helping other people find great content that is going to help them live happier, healthier lives. So thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me, feel free to email me. Give me some feedback, matt at under30experiences.com or hit me up on social media, Matt Wilson TV on just about any social platform. Talk to you guys soon.